right, and we're on. <laughs> Hello. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Bang Bang Cult. This is Ashley. And I'm Heather. How are you, Heather? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, how's your week been? It's been good. So I'm <laughs> doing the, the master cleanse right now, where you basically just drink lemonade for 10 days. And I struggled over the weekend, but now I am finally have energy and feel like a whole new girl. But don't you miss food? I miss food, but my like senses are unreal. Like I've been like today I sat down next to someone. I was like, "Did you eat Taco Bell for lunch?" And they're like, "How did you know?" I'm like, "I can just smell it. I can just smell everything." I think that's just because you miss Taco Bell. I do miss Taco Bell. I'm pretty excited to get some more nacho fries. Speaking of Taco Bell, I've eaten it every day this week. <sighs> that's the dream adulting dream adulting dream today i was like no not gonna have taco bell and then you know what i had taco bell again did you get the nacho fries no not this time oh they're so good i got cheese quesadilla and the loaded potato griller which is bomb oh yeah that's pretty good too it is i don't really have anything too exciting going on this week i know that's really lame right just this being here well this is exciting this is exciting well, I guess we could flip a coin. Yeah. See who's gonna start. I'll let you flip this time since I'm awful at it. I'm also awful. How do you even flip a coin? I don't know. Do you do? We the should probably watch tutorials. Where you this? flick it? It's gonna like break something. I know. Because okay. I feel like my thumb just doesn't flick it correctly. Do we flick it up? No. Maybe I should flip it onto the floor. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Ready? Wait. Are you? Then it are you make heads? The noise. Oh wait. Uh. Yeah. I guess I'll do heads. Okay. Ready, ready, ready. Where did it go? What is it? It's heads. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> All right, guys. Next time, maybe. I apologize. I'm starting first. Three in a row. And what are we going to talk about today? Do I win something after doing five in a row or something? Oh, we should. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll do like a chugging contest or something. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, uh, today, oh, where'd my notes go? Today I'm going to tell you, well, we didn't tell them our theme this week. We didn't tell them our theme no. this week. <laughs> so this week we're going to talk about some badass women and how they ran these grand cults. Yeah, and maybe hurt some people and were just general terrible badasses. Yeah, so Bad badasses. Bad badasses. Yeah, exactly. All right. I'm going to talk to you guys about Terry Hoffman. Terry Hoffman considered herself as the reincarnation of St. Teresa of Avila, who was the patroness of the religious and the sick. And she is the founder of the movement Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul. She is also either a murderer or really unlucky. Nice sound of some soda pop. Well, soda water. It's really thirsty. (laughs) Okay. Terry was born March 21st, 1938 in Fort Stockton, Texas. She was born into poverty and sent to a Lutheran orphanage when she was only nine years old. Two years later, she was adopted and renamed Terry Lee Benson. In 1953, Terry married a truck driver named John Wilder, 
and a year later, they had a daughter, Kathy. In 1958, they had a son, Kenneth, and in 1963, another daughter, Virginia. Now, in 1971, Terry and John were getting a divorce, and Terry was committed to Parkland Hospital for psychiatric evaluation. In the 1950s, Terry had become interested in meditation, metaphysics, hypnotism, Silva mind control, which is also called the Silva Method, which is a self-help program that claims to teach one how to increase their IQ, develop clairvoyance, and use the mind to heal the body and find some sort of God, among other things. Okay. Yeah. She also studied the writings of Edgar Case, who was an American clairvoyant that answered questions on subjects as varied as healing, reincarnation, wars, Atlantis, and future events while allegedly asleep. A biographer gave him the nickname, The Sleeping Prophet. So basically he had crazy dreams and was like, ooh, I believe in this land. No, he would answer questions. In his dream? In his, while he was asleep. Like oh. you could ask him questions about the future or whatever reincarnation or about mermaids in atlantis yeah mermaids exactly i'm sure he knew a thing or two about mermaids i wonder if he knew where like the hidden gold was that like divers are always looking for if he did you would think he would have gotten it Hmm. Hmm. it's like it wasn't real So Terry started out teaching a meditation class at a college, and after attracting followers in the 1960s, she incorporated her movement as Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul in 1974. She sold lessons and private consultations. Now, it's said that the movement was a place where the devotees fought wars with black lords. On the ethereal planes. During meditation sessions, Terry's followers would surround her to form what she referred to as a psychic shield to protect her from the black lords that she said were constantly trying to attack her. As her inner circle waged war against the black lords on several planes of existence, aiding them were God and the Twelve Masters such as Jesus, who were visible to Terry. But how are they how are her like how are they fighting? I don't get it. It's on the ethereal planes. I'm doing air quotes. The ethereal planes. So it's a non physical okay. realm of fighting. Probably using uh some of that sleep profiting yeah it sounds like it and or some really good imagination yeah really good imagination and drugs probably drugs probably drugs yeah i mean i've fought a few wars if i was on drugs with myself yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay where was i so terry supposedly could also communicate with the dead and see the past and future 
Terry taught her followers to avoid critical thoughts and negative energies as they could prove fatal. Death was not to be feared, though, as the ultimate goal was rebirth in the spiritual realm. Now, despite the classes being free, her followers were instructed to buy expensive handmade jewelry that she would turn into powerful protective gems from Terry's very own jewelry business called CD Gems. They were also encouraged to hand over any items of jewelry that harbored negative energy. Her followers shelled over thousands of dollars in cash and jewelry whilst alive, and the dollars kept on coming in even after they were dead. Smart. That's a very smart move. Yeah, great businesswoman. Take notes. Deal. Let's go to Venice. We'll start selling stuff to for the bad energy. And take theirs. <laughs> so by the mid-70s, Terry was married again to Glenn Cooley, and business was booming. Over a hundred people attended her weekly lectures in Dallas, Texas, and others took her printed lessons. Not sure how she delivered those. Like a pamphlet, maybe? Maybe. Maybe by carrier pigeon. Or by the ethereal land. Ethereal planes. Ethereal planes. The ethereal land. <laughs> With like a dragon. Yes. We're going to have dragons. Definitely dragons. Definitely dragons. In, the, in late 1976, Terry's husband, Glenn, wanted out of his marriage and the cult. In February 1977, he was discovered dead of an overdose of Valium and Librium, only five days after their divorce was finalized. Terry, of course, was named his sole beneficiary. Shocking. Meanwhile, her group saw the tragedy as proof that the Black Lords were making gains and poisoning their blood. Naturally, the only way to remove the poison from their blood was by bloodletting. Naturally. Naturally. She lost some followers when that started. Thirteen years later, a former high-ranking follower told investigators that Terry had said to her that Glenn was going to the next level and that the two had visited him at his cabin the night before his death, but after he had ingested the drugs. Now let's go back to 1977, five months after Glenn's death. Terry remarries, so her third marriage, to Ben Johnson. And in February 1979, Terry's secretary-treasurer, Sandra Cleaver, also known as Sandy, went on a vacation to Hawaii with her 14-year-old daughter, Devereaux. Previously, Sandy had kept distance from her daughter because her evil spirits were infecting Sandy's energies. Not those damn spirits. Yep. Stay away from me, child. <laughs> while on vacation, Devereaux drowned while the two were at the beach. According to Sandy, a wave knocked over their raft and a second wave separated them. By the time Devereaux's father was notified and got to Hawaii, he found Sandy in a hospital room with Terry Hoffman. Devereaux's will left her possessions to Terry, including her music collection, her basketball, and her $125,000 trust fund. Was it like a special basketball? I don't know. Just her beloved basketball. I mean, she was 14 years old, so. That's true. Maybe it was like her one prized possession. Yeah, it was her beloved basketball. Oh, that makes it sad. So sad. She left her basketball to a cult leader. Wait, but she's 14 and she had a will? Yeah. So evidently, Terry and whoever her followers, her legal team, drew up this will and had it's like Devereaux they knew sign something it. something was going to happen. Yeah, it's a little 
fishy. Quinkadink. And the the will was later invalidated because wills written by minors aren't legal in Texas. Oh, that makes sense because parents could take everything. But okay, that makes sense. After this, Sandy took a three hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy out on herself to the sole benefit of Terry, and she transferred the title of her house to Terry. And she paid Terry rent to live in her own home. That's quite the deal. It really is. I mean, I want to be Terry, right? Yeah, Terry's living a life. In 1981, Sandy drove her station wagon off a cliff, killing herself and her 77-year-old housekeeper, Louise Wheezy Watson. Is there any reason for the nickname? I don't know, but it seemed relevant and... Wheezy. I liked it. Makes her sound like... A really great basketball player, Louise yeah. Wheezy Watson. Wheezing on over. Or maybe she's just wheezy. I was thinking like maybe because she's older, so she like wheezed a lot. But we'll go with like fun. I'm going to go with the whimsical wheezy. Yeah, I'm going to go with she was a really great basketball player. Into it. The road where Sandy drove her station wagon off of a cliff was dirt, so the police could ascertain that she had not attempted to swerve or break before going off of the cliff. Sandra's will left everything to Terry. And Louise Wheezy Watson's will, which she had signed three months earlier, also left everything to Terry. And there's no evidence that Louise was even involved in the movement. Sandy's brother contested the will, and his lawyer called it the result of fraud and undue influence. The case was settled, but Terry and her movement were faced with bad publicity, Three of the four followers who testified on behalf of Terry would later commit suicide. Robin Ottstadt had become a friend and follower of Terry's in 1974, two years after her divorce. Robin had a master's degree in social work and was a counselor for troubled children. She becomes the new Sandy in Terry's life after Sandy kills herself. Terrified of the Black Lords, Robin filled her home with protective crystals and friendly gnomes, and beneath her bed, Robin placed special protective shields, lengths of copper tubing twisted into strange serpentine shapes. Ew. Right? I feel like, what if you woke up in the middle of the night and you like looked down and you saw like serpents? But it's beneath her bed. I know, but mm, I don't like it. I mean, dragons? <laughs> but they don't have wings and they're not cool. They're serpents. Ugh. Made of copper tubing. I'll go with the gnomes. They are said to be friendly gnomes. I know what to get you for your birthday. I don't want a friendly gnome. All right. <laughs> you might still end up with a friendly gnome. <laughs> a really big one for your yard. We'll see. We'll see. In the beginning of the 1980s, Terry's really busy. In 1980, she divorces Ben Johnson and marries her fourth husband, Don Hoffman. What? How do these women get there? So many men. Right? This is her, what, fourth at this fourth? point? I can't even get one. All right. Yeah. Maybe I need to become crazy. That's the tr the deal. Although I think Ben is really the luckiest one out of all of her husbands. I mean, there's not a lot of information about him here. It seems like they get married and they get divorced and that's that for Ben. All right. He got to like live the life maybe. Took yeah. Took some money with him. So Terry marries her fourth husband, Don Hoffman. She then founds the perfume mixing company Perfume Oils International, begins performing acupressure massages, and her classes were attracting hundreds of people. At this time, the cult begins expanding into Chicago. Now, conscious development followers have said that Terry spoke mysteriously of her connections to the CIA. She claimed to have been training, quote, 
unquote, dematerialized government agents and using her powers to protect them. Just as Terry's followers came to believe in masters that they couldn't see, these dematerialized CIA agents that they started to believe were real, Robin came to have an invisible lover. In 1986, Terry played matchmaker and set Robin up with an invisible CIA agent named George Jeffrey. I have so many questions. I don't even know. Like, I'm I'm literally speechless. Wait. Okay. Okay, continue. <laughs> the bizarre love affair is detailed in journals later reviewed by investigators. This is amazing. <laughs> Are, you, are you okay? <laughs> Oh my god, I want to read this. Is, is the journal available? I didn't look for it. We should find it oh and my god. publish it as a we book. Sh- we should. Because, like, how... I just don't understand. Like, are she, like... Is she making out with the air? Like... I don't know. I have a few details. The only details I have are that she describes dates and romantic dinners, heart-to-heart talks, and even a camping trip. That she and George took to Colorado. I just, like, envision her, like, in the park, like, pretending to hold someone's hand, like, talking to them, like, (laughs) like, hey, babe, what's up? Do they they have sex? Yeah, Yeah, like, and that's also my question. Like, how, how are they intimate other than through what, I mean, how do they really communicate? Again, so many questions. On the non-physical... Oh, the ethereal. the ethereal planes. Uh, uh. Okay. So is she like astral projecting? I, I guess. I kind of want to get into this quote. It sounds great. <laughs> Live your wildest dreams. Minus losing all of your money to Terry and, and all and of your, your favorite and your blood jewelry. To your blood packs. But, you know, but ethereal land. So do you want to guess why they could never marry? Because then the spouse could take everything for... Or, but why Robin could never marry her CIA agent boyfriend? Because he's non-existent. Nope. For reasons of national security. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna give those secrets away. Okay. So Robin was convinced that non-physical bodies had begun to attack Robin and others. Other members blame her for their various ailments and misfortunes. In April 1987, Robin told her ex-husband that she had contracted a terminal case of viral herpes from a banana peel. Those damn banana peels. The herps. The, nope, hepatitis. Oh, the hep. Okay. Yep. Banana peel hepatitis. Mmm. Delicious. That'll make a good smoothie. little (laughs) hep bee in the morning. Robin later shot herself with a 38 caliber revolver. She then left her land in Colorado, jewelry, writings, personal files, figurines, clothes, and bedroom furniture to Terry in a will created two months prior to her death. Shocker. Blood tests would later confirm that Robin had no signs of hepatitis or any other disease. Because bananas don't carry hepatitis. Okay. Do bananas carry hepatitis? I mean, a banana peel, too. Not just a banana. Specifically the peel. Was she, like, eating the peel? Or she, like, touched the peel and thought it... Was she having sex with the peel? Probably because, like... Invis- oh, invisible boyfriend. Invisible boyfriend. Banana. Oh. It all makes sense. Oh. Okay. 
We got it now. So is that why they, is that like a sign when you practice on bananas with a condom? Like also, if you're going to do that, put a condom on it. Yeah. Wrap it up. Yeah. I mean, even if you're going to have sex with your invisible CIA boyfriend, wrap wrap it up. up. Yeah. Wrap it up. Wrap up that banana. Safe sex, kids. Even with bananas. In September 1988, Terry's husband, Don, had fallen a little bit out of favor in the movement, and he was discovered dead from a mixed drug intoxication. In his legal pad, there was a suicide note citing Don's terminal inoperable cancer as the reason for his suicide. The autopsy found no traces of cancer. Terry explained to Don's son, Rick, that the Black Lords had hidden the evidence of cancer behind an illusion. Terry was the sole beneficiary of Don's estate. Rick and his sister Janet filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Terry in March 1989. They believed that Terry tricked him into believing he had terminal cancer and into altering his will to leave all of his estate to her and removing his children from his will. They believed she hypnotized him and forced him to commit suicide. It's like get out, but old school style. (laughs) Well, I guess get out. Never mind. (laughs) well kind of same same but different i haven't seen it it's okay (laughs) i'll forgive you (laughs) four days after don's death former cult follower jill bounds was beaten to death in her home whoever killed her browsed through her 1979 diary and ripped out some pages jill left the movement in 1982 but despite being afraid of her visited terry a few months before her death Hmm. Winky dink? I wonder what that conversation was about. You want to give me your will? Maybe. A little bit? Probably. She probably hypnotized her. Probably. Probably like, do you think she like walks into a house and she's like, I want that. I want to hypnotize her so I can get that. Probably. She's not hypnotizing for very good things. Yeah. Like she got someone's clothes and figurines. Like creepy doll figurines. But maybe they're like happy. Friendly gnomes. Friendly gnomes. They were friendly gnomes. That's all she wants is friendly gnomes. That's it. She's just hypnotizing and convincing people to kill themselves for friendly gnomes. In June 1989, longtime followers David and Glenda Goodman marked in their journal that they had received instructions from God to practice shooting. Four months later, God told them that, quote, the way is clear to get high energies. It's like this. You are about to be joined in a marriage between your fizz self and your spirit. All is in readiness. The date is set for October 20th. Unquote. David and Glenda were found dead in November, five weeks after dying in a ritualistic double death. Fast forward, January of 1990, a criminal investigation was launched by the Dallas District Attorney's Office after news reports about the Goodmans and the pattern of deaths that followed Terry's aroused suspicion. Cecil Emerson, assistant district attorney, stated that it would be difficult to determine if mind control can legally be a contributing factor in a death. Of course, Terry and her movement, Conscious Development, denied any wrongdoing. Her lawyer, Fred Time, referred to the investigation as a witch hunt and praised his client's persona. After four years, prosecutors couldn't find evidence to link Terry to the deaths. Terry filed for bankruptcy in October 1991 and was sentenced to 16 months in prison for 10 counts of bankruptcy fraud and was released after serving a year. That's all she gets now. Yeah, she just gets a year. They couldn't get her on anything. So she like, after she's stealing everyone's, you know, getting all of these wills, she's also claiming bankruptcy, even though she has lots and lots of money. I'm not sure why she had to file bankruptcy. 
I'm sure it was tied somehow. Maybe she was going broke. Maybe she's like spending too much on her crystals. Yeah, I don't imagine she's very good at budgeting. Yeah, it doesn't seem like. Or maybe she's giving it to the ethereal world. Oh, yeah, maybe she's giving it to the ethereal planes. The strip clubs. Making it rain. Making it rain in the ethereal planes. Just those bananas. Oh, that rhymes. <laughs> Make a rap song. <laughs> Making it rain in the ethereal planes. And so fast forward to 2002, Terry marries... Roger Keenly and changes her name to Terry Lilia Keenly. Guess she wanted a fresh start. She starts a website touting her experience and many talents and even wrote a financial advice book. Amazing. <laughs> mm. From the woman that, you know, went to jail for bankruptcy. Filing bankruptcy. Terry died I on I want to read it just to like see what her tips and tricks are. Yeah, like, how do you convince someone to leave you all of their money? I mean, she clearly knows a thing or two, maybe. Yeah, I wonder how she twists her life experience into advice. Yeah, maybe a little late reading. Yeah. On October 31st, 2015, at the age of 77, Terry dies. That's it. That's all she wrote. Bye, Terry. And hello, Heather. It's your turn. All right. Well, mine's actually kind of very similar to yours. So today we're going to take a trip back down to one of our favorite places, the land down under, uh, in where we will meet an Australian New Age group, aka a cult. This group is called The Family, when they also went by a couple other names, and forgive me for the pronunciation on this one, Santinic. Keaton Park Association and the Great White Brotherhood. Can you guess? They're probably all white. Very white. Yeah, probably. A little bit. Uh, so this family was ran by a woman named Anne Hamilton Bryan, and she actually was born Evelyn Edwards in 1921. They don't really say why she changed her name, but it's most likely a way for her to escape her childhood. During her childhood, her mother actually died in an asylum after being diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. And her father was just a stand-up guy. He actually had, he couldn't hold down a job. And he just decided that the task of being a single dad was just too much work. So she spent much of her childhood in and out of orphanages. And so in her adult life, it didn't continue to get any better. She had her first child. And soon after, her husband died in a car accident. Womp, womp. And here's the start to the story. To get over the pain of her husband's passing, she decides to immerse herself in yoga. Now, obviously, yoga is very popular now, but during this time in the, the 60s, 70s, it's actually not as people aren't as familiar with it. It's actually an Eastern practice that's starting to make its way over to the, the Western world. I think this actually like drew her more to it because it was something that was like unique and wasn't highly practiced. So she actually started teaching middle-class housewives in Melbourne. They were very fascinated by this like new age way of thinking. They just wanted to be like keeping up with the Joneses, I guess. Just basically how you made the modern LA millennial. Right. They're basically like the 60s and 70s day hipsters, like just trying to be like cool and like in the know with their modern age thinking. Soon Anne meets Dr. Raynor Johnson, a physicist who is actually about to retire. 
And he's a very, very social man, very charismatic, and he has a lot of posh friends. And he begins to introduce Anne to a lot to all of his friends. And his friends include nurses, lawyers, and doctors. One of his friends was Howard Whitaker, who was actually a researcher who used psychedelics to treat mental illness. Which actually, I don't know if you've heard any of the research on it, but it's really popular to microdose to treat anxiety and depression. There's been a lot of studies saying that it's positive thing to do positive but just not too much and obviously like then they probably didn't understand micro dosing so i'm sure they were dose dosing dose dosing and with mental illness so it's like double whammy just diving into the deep end yeah so i'm sure it wasn't the exact effect that they wanted but they they were experimenting with it whitaker actually just started kind of handing out this lsd like candy and so Anne and rayner decided to dabble with it a little bit and during one of her trips, Anne received a message that she was actually the reincarnation of Jesus Christ and, in fact, was a living God. And she began comparing herself to Buddha or Christ and spreading the word that she, she was this person. And taking on this persona, she began to spread the message with everyone being so, again, fascinated with this new age way of thinking. They just really wanted to understand and learn from her. And she began to teach a weekly, a weekly class. They uh, started doing this in it's uh, at Rainer's property out in the outskirts of Melbourne, like a private ranch. To keep it even like more exclusive, and like you had to be part of part of the know to be a part of this group. The in crowd, part of the in crowd. The weekly teachings were an eclectic mixture of Christianity, Hinduism, and other Eastern and Western religions. With the main point being the spiritual truths are universal. However, it's said that her, her sermons were actually unintelligible to the uninitiated, aka people that just weren't brainwashed were like, what? Oh, that's interesting that they just didn't get it. You had to be initiated into it. You had to be a certain kind of fucked up to understand what she was saying. To understand, yeah. It, you probably had to be a certain kind of messed up just to, yeah, just to understand what she was saying in order to become initiated. Exactly. Like, you... you you had to be on the same wavelength as her. Exactly. I feel like her and Terry could have... They could have been besties. They could have been besties and made like the greatest female cult of all, all time. time. Yes. But then it might have been like an out-competing of like who's the better. Like Maybe. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. That would be an interesting like fight to the death. Well, we got to hear more about Anne to see who we think would win. I know. As she continues to do her yoga teachings and with the large circle of friends that they've now made, they are actually bringing in more and more recruits. And at the peak, they actually had around 500 followers. As Rainer and Anne continued to experiment with psychedelics, they decided that it would be best to carry this into the practice. And, and so Anne began to administer LSE to guide her followers through their trip, thereby ensuring their acceptance of her divinity. And the followers began to believe that they were the avatars of the apostles of Jesus. Wow. Exactly. So the, this is all really tying together here. That's what I mean. <laughs> like, I feel like Terry and Anne would have been best friend and as terry did they actually all of her followers gave and everything they started giving her money and they actually started switching spouses it was oh. a fun little swinger party i guess uh they'd, so they yeah again money homes and eventually they gave away their children wait what Listen, cults do a lot of crazy shit. They leave their kids behind. 
Nope. This one, they give their children to her. What is she going to do with their children? Sacrifice them or sell them as slaves? Well, or... well it's, it's not great for the children. The children are given to Anne to help her cause. So basically, Anne believed that children would continue her sect after the earth was consumed by a holocaust. The kids won't be alive. Yeah, that part I didn't quite understand. I'm like, so maybe she thinks that like because of their children... They'll survive the end of the world. So I think it's like, so later I'll talk about it, but she thinks that when you turn 14 and you become an adolescent is when you're initiated into like the adulthood. But I think that if you're 14 and under, or 14 and under, that you'll survive the Holocaust. And those are going to be like the saviors that will continue her teachings. Just a whole world full of children. 13 and under. Just a bunch. Yep. How are they? That would be some interesting politics. It would be like, yeah, that would be very interesting. But then again, royals and... That's true. Back in the day, they used to be ran by 13-year-olds. That's true. So maybe it would end well. Well, we did not say that back then ended well. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Uh, So yes. So she just believed that they would be the inheritors of the earth. All in all, she ended up having 28 children. And she told all of them that she was actually their biological mother, because that makes sense, 28 children. Well, look at the Duggar family. That's true. They have, what, 20 children? They, they have, That's true. So I guess, okay, well, she's eight on top of that. It's possible. I guess it's possible, but... And I think, um, oh, what is her name? Mary something, the mother of Australia? She had a lot of children, too. That's true. Okay, so she had 28 children, and I guess it's believable. It's believable, but who is the father? Who did these kids think that their dad is? I'm thinking Rainer, maybe. 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 Who's caring for them? I guess everyone, like it takes a village. It, it's the, I guess, yeah, it takes, obviously a lot of the members give their children to her, but then they also start adopting children. They would get the children in different ways. Obviously, the members would give their children for the cause, but they would also adopt them. And because they were friends with lawyers, they were able to kind of go across the red tape and Hmm. adopt a lot of children. And it kind of sounds like they basically were kidnapping children and making it... Kidnapping orphans. Kidnapping orphans. And I think there's potential that they were actually going to hospitals. Like, the nurses were just taking the babies. Oh, maybe they had followers that were nurses that believed in... Yeah. Oh, what did the parents Think I think they would happening. just say that they died. Like, the, oh, the, the, that's horrifying. And your kid is dead. So I think they were getting them in all sorts of ways. However, they could get a kid, they got a kid. They got a kid. It's like drugs. They were addicted to children. They're uh, addicted to children because she loved children. To make it seem like they all were related, they would actually dye their hair blonde, and all of the little boys would have bowl cuts. So they all looked very similar. So I have additional questions. One, did, could she have any of her own kids? Did she? She had the one. Oh, yes. The one, but I think that was it. And were all these kids the same nationality or? They're all, they're all, yeah. Okay. They're all Australian. Okay. Well, I mean, they're not, like not Aboriginal. They're not Aborigine. And... They're all, they're all white. Okay. Yeah. Because they all need to look like each other, so. That makes sense, but just have to make sure. Could it be like an Angelone, Angelona, Angelina, Angelina, <laughs> Angelina Jolie family? It was not an Angelina situation. It was, no. And unfortunately, the kids were not treated well. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're being kidnapped, so 
you wouldn't expect the best treatment. Each child was given an auntie to watch over them. So different members of the group, like women of the group, would help watch over them and help groom them, aka dye their hair and make sure that they stayed blonde. And each of the girls would wear matching colored bows. So they all like were twins and triplets. And well, that's cute. It's cute. It's kind of like, I mean, again, it's called the family. So they're all like a big giant one family. big not so happy family. Well, right now they're kind of family. They're kind of happy, right? Kind of. But if they acted up. They were punished. Uh, crimes included their food being taken away from them, being locked in dark rooms. And Anne's favorite way to punish them was to beat them with her stiletto. Ow. I know. I know. I just like, you can just like envision it. I don't. I can't. It's so sad. And you'd think that it would stop when she was out of town. No, it's not the way the cookie crumbles. She would actually call her, the aunties. And would listen to them punish the children over the phone. So you could never just, you couldn't, you couldn't get away with anything. In an attempt to make the children become more docile, they're actually given Valium, like their, their entire childhood, and sometimes LSD as well. Wow. So they're just like drugged up children. And then, so like I said, when they turn 14 is when they become an, an adolescent, and that's when they actually get to be officiated into the group, and they do this by giving them a dose of LSD and sticking them in a dark room with no one around them. And they just have to sit in there. And the only people that would visit them would be either be Anne or a psychiatrist. Well, I guess at this point, if they've already been on drugs, they're kind of used to it. But I guess if you're in a room alone versus... But, like, they get, like, a full dose of it rather than, like... Instead of, like, a micro dose. Yeah, like, the little bit of volume or a little bit of... Like, they're getting the full dose of it. How long are they in the room for? It could be, like, up to a week. Well, now that's... That's terrible. I know. So they keep just getting redosed while they're in there? I guess they would have to, I right? think it's probably, like, part of it. They just want to make sure that, like, again, they have their own journey and they understand that she is, like, their, their god that's you know that's their spiritual journey that they need to go through yeah okay i think that they already understood that they were stuck there but now they're getting more free will because they're becoming adults well they're initiated into the group so they're officially a part of it but they can't become initiated unless they unless they go through this part and believe that she is exactly everything to them everything yes like she's she's their mother she's the everything and they continued to uh, continued with these practices for years and no one really knew that this group existed except for the elite of, of you know the middle class elite because they actually had their own private private land out in like the outskirts of the city. This all changed actually though in 1987 when one of Anne's daughters, use air quotes, she actually was kicked out for acting up and not oh. agreeing with, uh, with Anne so they kicked her out and she actually wrote a book, it's called Unseen Unheard, Unknown My Life Inside the Family of Anne Hamilton Brine and here Here's a little excerpt from the book. I was a small part of her plan to collect children in what she herself once called a scientific experiment. She goes on to say that she couldn't remember all the dates very well because she had so many children. Maybe in retrospect, we should have realized that was weird, but we never thought it was anything out of the ordinary. She decided upon sets of twins and triplets and gave us ages and birth dates to fit in with that idea. Birthday changes were just something you accepted. It was as if Anne knew so much more about everything than us, and she just might be revealing another piece of our life plan if she changed our birthdays. We were the children of the family, the children of Anne Hamilton Bryan. Ooh. 
I know. I kind of want to read it now. I actually that was... really want to read it. It sounds very fascinating. Wow. I know, because I'm sure she goes into a lot of details of, like, what happened while they were there. I'm honestly surprised that they let her leave. I am, too, but I think she just was, like, maybe so, like, unruly or... I don't know. I don't know. You'd think that... They would have done something. Given her a little too much LSD. Yeah. Like, oopsies. But they just let her leave, which is... That's not normal behavior. It's not. But maybe they just... I don't know. I... Well, she was lucky enough that she was able to get out. And write a book. And write a book. And when she did leave she actually did the right thing and she went to the police and they raided the farm and they took away all the children but the sad part is is all of the children didn't understand and they actually like were upset with the police were like screaming and crying of like, course they think that this woman is they their think family that they're being taken away from their family which they kind of are they're the only family that they know i know but so it's um it doesn't really say, like, what happened to them, but Anne fled Australia, and she was on the run for six years. And in June of 1993, police from Australia, the UK, and the US were working together on Operation Forest, and they were actually able to track her down in upstate New York. She was arrested, extradited back to Australia, and charged with conspiracy to defraud and to commit perjury by falsely registering the births of three unrelated children as their own triplets. So she was really only able to be charged for three of them. Okay. And, of course, she didn't receive any jail time. She just had to pay a fine of $5,000. Oh. Because, you know. Uh, but in 2009, two of the Colts' victims actually received compensation from Anne. But soon after, she was diagnosed with dementia, meaning no one else could do any legal action against her. And it is believed that the family is still active with about 40 to 50 members just out in the hills practicing the beliefs. Oh, that's interesting that they're still doing it without her. They're still doing it without her. Are they getting more children? Most likely. I'm sure they're getting more children. Are they just doing it like bunnies to make their own children? I'm sure they want to keep it alive because they want, like, they're going to be the saviors of the earth. So I'm sure that they... But are they, like, adopting kids? Are they still stealing kids? How did she not get caught for stealing kids if that's what she did? I think that just because there were so many lawyers and people involved in this cult that they were actually able to cover it up very well. So they didn't have very much to go against her on. Oh, good for her. And it's said that they actually believe that some of the members potentially were um, killed by the LSD dosaging, but because they had so many, again, friends and doctors, they were able to make it look like they were actually like mental patients that were being treated with the with the psychedelics oh. and that they were accidentally overdosed or something happened. So they probably covered up a lot of deaths that way as well. Oh, interesting. All right. And there, it looks like there is actually a three-part documentary called The Cult of the Family that's streaming in australia right now so it might be something interesting to uh to watch yeah that sounds kind of good yeah. and that book what was the book called the book is called unseen unheard unknown my life inside the family of anne hamilton Bryan. i might be reading that we should make a we should cult book club Ooh, Ooh. would you guys be interested in a cult book club i like this i like it too Maybe we'll have to do a poll or slide into our DMs. A slide in. Yeah, we could do a little question mark in our DMs. Like, in yes, our, no. Maybe mm -hmm. a story with a poll. or Yeah. No, because we don't know when people are going to listen to this. So we'll put it to slide into our DMs if you want to do a book club. 
a cult book club and any recommendations for some good books if you do want to yeah is that it we're done that's that's it for this time okay well uh i guess fun it's been fun i guess we'll catch you next time in the meantime follow us on instagram and facebook at bang bang cult email us at bang bang cult at gmail.com and we'll catch you next time bye bye